time for Nadar. Let's get into it. The podcast that dives into the past, present, and future of Nadar. This is where we will hear stories of how the organization came to be, tips for better representation, and a behind-the-scenes look of Nadar. Now with your hosts, Eva Sermon and Jay Shea Guest. I am Carletta Griffin, inviting you. Let's get into it. Welcome to another exciting episode of Nadar. Let's get into it. We are very excited about today's guest, partially because without today's guest, there probably wouldn't be a Nadar Let's Get Into It podcast. Um, I I would say that our guest today is the brainchild behind it. And um, I'm so thankful that uh, in Baltimore, uh, I I was approached and said, hey, you know, what do you think about a podcast? And here we are, so many podcasts later. Eva, did you think we would make it this far? Actually, I was talking to another colleague today, and he's he's about ten years younger than me. And he was like, "Man, it's kind of like it's kind of like every like millennial's dream to be on a podcast." And I was like, oh, "It was my dream." <laughs> but I will say there was a lot of chit chat about like, "Oh, you should have your own talk show," and I'll take podcast over talk show any day of the week. So yeah, I think uh, Christopher Mazzulli, who is our current vice president, um, is with us today. So welcome, Chris. Thank you. Hi, Eva. Hi, Shay. How are you doing? Doing well, thanks. And I think you're exactly right, Shay. We wouldn't be here um, on this podcast without Chris and sort of the the idea to, to start this for NADR. And I think it's become a really great way to, you know, not only talk about some of the leadership stuff, um, but also just memorialize the history of NADR, um, you know, and also just get to get to know our members a little bit better. And I think that's why we're here today. We really wanted the opportunity to chat with Chris um, because he's been on the board for quite some time, but also he is, um, you know, on our slate as our, you know, slated president, um, which will, will roll around here sooner than you think. In fact, the board election ballots go out in two days. So on June 15th, which ironically will be the day that this airs, um, people will get their election ballots and be able to cast their votes for um, those slated officers. So exciting times. So Chris, let's talk to you about your background, um, how you got into this business. First of all, I think that's always such an interesting story. Sure. Um well, you know, I, my degrees are in biology and environmental science, so it is a real um, interesting little, you know, navigating to to get to where I got to today. Um, it was probably because of the, the field in Maryland at the time I was working with Department of Natural Resources. Things were were well going well, but it was like the mobility was was stagnant. You know, so in order to progress up the chain, you had to really wait for people to retire. And so I was like, yeah, I just was too antsy. Or I had to like move to another state like California where there was a hotbed of like biology and stuff going on out there. So, um, and I didn't want to do that. I like living in Maryland, um, being close to my family and everything. So I, I tried uh, looking around to see if there's other things I could do to, to you know, and I actually fell into doing uh, computer-based testing uh, because it was a web-based uh, technology that this uh, company called Prometric and I was actually making websites on the side, so I knew how to, to do HTML language, and that's what they were using for their testing centers to, to put these uh, uh, 
you know, for their clients to put the tests in the centers, they were sit down and, and it was a web-based um, test that they were taking. So I landed into that and I was like, oh, this is all right, you know, see how it goes. Cause I thought maybe it could help me get into web design more, you know, learning the language and just having that experience. And then, and then all of a sudden there was a reorg there and then I got kind of stuck in another non-mobility uh, kind of uh, situation. So then I was like, all right. So my dad had always been asking me to work for him. And I was like, all right, let's go over there for a little bit and you know, maybe help me find, figure out if there's another opportunity in the web world that I could you know, do. And this would be something I could do in a transition. And uh, what he was doing at the time was, was um, working with uh, hospitals in Maryland to help get their patients who, who don't have insurance get Medicaid. And so I was like, all right, I can, you know, I can help him out for a little bit. And that was in, in 2003. So I said, you know, that will probably just be about a year. And, and, and now here I've, I've been there for, for 20, 20 years. So uh, it you know, turned into a bigger, bigger role in my life that I wasn't expecting. And, and how I got into the disability from there was really in Maryland, when you were applying for Medicaid, you had to um, apply for SSI benefits. So that was just, just ha- didn't have to actually get the benefits for them. It was just part of the application process for Medicaid because it was similar, like you had approved disability for a year and everything, but the threshold wasn't as high for the, like Social Security has. So it was easier to get Medicaid. And so since we were applying all these individuals and they were getting denied, they started coming back to us saying, hey, you helped me, you know, with this application. Can I just got denied. Can you, you know, help me out? And so that kept happening. And so we're like, all right, let's, let's see what we can do with this. And, and we turned it in, into another business called Disability Support Services. And that's where, uh, you know, we started doing this representation, but that was before you could get paid directly. So we had to come up with all kinds of schemes to check because it, so it wasn't very profitable because we were, you know, it was like a, we would set up a bank account and with the local bank and we would have checks. And when they, when the money hit their account, it was a race to see if the claimant or we could get there to get our funds. And uh, a lot of times the claimants won, but once the, you know, the ability to get paid directly came about, then it, it started to become much more profitable for us to to really ramp up the business. And that's what we started doing. So I being on a tech side of things, you know, I also took our databases and and um, modernized them. You know, we got into uh, access and and SQL backend thing kind of programming and, and really started to be able to handle large volumes of, of data. So that's kind of how we got into it. And then, you know, getting into um, the studying for the test and everything, I met some people who told me about NASCAR and NADAR. And that's when I started saying, okay, you know, cause I realized during all that time, it was like, they said, okay, now you have to get, keep going to these conferences so you can get your, you know, con- continuing education needs so that you can keep this payment coming to you on a yearly basis. So I started going to NASCAR and NADAR, just depending on who, you know, really was closer to Baltimore at that time. I didn't really know anybody in the organizations, except, you know, I just kind of went and was on my own and just kind of went and came home. Uh, it got my credits and did what I did. And then it wasn't until really, uh, I guess it was the Austin, Texas conference in 2015 that I started meeting people at the NADAR conference and really made some uh, close friendships there. And just 
decided at that point that this was the organization I wanted to be a part of and and, and didn't care where the location was for the conference. I was just going to go to the NATO conference. So. so, Chris, I want to interject for a second. So how interesting that your dad kept saying, oh, come help me with my business, come help me with my business. And then you show up on the scene and you create a whole new business for the guy. Yep. What were his thoughts on like going down the path of becoming sort of a disability firm? Well, he he was he's all for it. My dad loves to innovate and you know make new products for clients. So he thought, hey, this is this is something that we could, you know, possibly do and 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 do well. So he kind of just said, it's it's up to you though, you know, if if you're going because he didn't have time to study and do the exam himself because he ate, um, hospital sports services, you know, the Medicaid business was was really booming at that time. So he was like, I don't have time for that. If you want to do this, go for it. So he was excited. He was really happy that, um, you know, I took that opportunity and, and really turned it into to something. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a great uh, story of like diversification, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure as many people know in this industry, um, kind of always being in tune to, to other things, like things you can do to diversify. I think if you're going to be in this the long, like for the long haul, you kind of need that, right? Like you kind of need some other income source. <laughs> yeah, because there's ups and downs in both of the industries. Luckily, most of them haven't been in sync, you know. So when one one industry was having a, a change that that kind of we took a hit to you know income, the other one was fine and doing well. So it, it you know we've been lucky that way that we really had that diversity to help us both through those those kinds of situations. Absolutely, totally recommend diversification for sure. Okay, so what year did you take the fee withholding exam? You remember? I passed it in 2007. Okay, so you passed it under the demo project then. Yes, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't um fully law yet at that time. Okay, interesting. All right. And did you just study on your own for that or did you do any I, I had some help. I mean, pretty much. I mean, it was I had some other folks that I brought on who who were already doing representation. So one was a, a lawyer and one was a non-lawyer themselves, but had been doing it for a while. So um they really helped me, you know, understand how to, to study what 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 was important to to understand in you know preparing for the test. So uh, I was unfortunate. I had some really good help. Nice. I think that's imperative. I mean, obviously, we would like yeah, to. I had I've never done representation before, yeah. and so that was really my first exposure to. It. I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I think that's like mo. I mean, mine too. Like, I did my background was not in this at all came from corporate America and was sort of like blindsided, I think mostly by the amount of information. It felt very much like drinking out of, you know, fire hose kind of thing. Um, and at that time, I'm sure Nader's study sessions were pretty like unorganized, I think. I don't think that it was like a true organized thing quite yet. Right. I wasn't really aware of them at that time. So if they were, I just... Like I said, I just was fortunate. I had some people around me that were willing to teach me. So I was able to pass. Right. I think it was like very soon, maybe even the next year, um, or maybe that was the first year, but the, there was like people that were taking the test anew and they, so they would study together. And it was kind of like a ad hoc thing. I don't think it was like a product yet, you know? Right. Um, interesting. Okay. So 2007, you became eligible for fee withholding. Would you say that that changed the game for your disability practice? Yeah, it, just because we could collect the money, just, uh, you know, consistently and not have to worry about it, you know, not being there after doing all that representation. So 
I, I think it really allowed us to scale up at that point, you know, because mm -hmm. we knew then we had a, a stable income with it. So it was, we had it going for a couple of years and it was just very small, you know, what this wasn't anything that was making a decent amount of money, but it was good because it also gave me time during that period is when I started working with the databases, you know, so I was, it was a good slow period for me to really get into it to help me design the, you know, the workflow that we were going to start to follow and, and, you know, make the database track what we needed to, to really do good case management. I think a lot of people during that time were fending for themselves where case management was concerned. You know, there were a lot of like proprietary quote unquote systems being built, you know, th things that were just work, uh, workflow management uh, type things through access and other, you know, other available like off the shelf softwares in that moment. Um, or they were just for other industries, you know, and they were trying right. to shoehorn it into this one, which yeah, really yeah. didn't work too well. Repurposed, you know. Yeah. Um, okay, so you test in 2007, become eligible for fee withholding. That sort of changes the pace of your business in that moment. And isn't it the million dollar question for, I think, every business owner, but do you, like the whole question of when to scale, right? I think that's a pretty perplexing business concept. Um, or can be. Um, so you decide, okay, we're now we're getting regular fees. It makes sense to sort of scale this company. And then it was still another 10, almost 10 years before you really realized that as an association, Nader was the space for you. And so you mentioned the conference in Austin in 2015. And what would you say for you clicked in your mind? Like, oh, these are my people. It was well. It was the. Uh, the is it rated R? Let me ask. <laughs> is it rated R? Okay. Well, that's what I was about to say. I was excited to hear how this answer is going to come about. <laughs> the, <laughs> I mean, it was the social event. I think it was a bar crawl that was oh, yeah. by Randy, and and it was just this relaxed. You know, I, I really didn't know. It I was like ah, I I almost didn't go on it. You know, I mean, I was like eh, I was like all right, why not? And then just you know, happened to sit down and some people just started talking and it was just, I think the nice thing about the bar crawl was you kept moving, you know? So it wasn't like you ended up sitting down and you, you talked to whoever you just happened to sit down. So I really got a mix that day, you know, it was like from every bar I just was, or, you know, walking between the bars. It was just like, it was an opportunity just to start meeting and really just talking to folks about what they do or, you know, just not only with the work, but just, you know, what they do in their personal lives, you know, I mean, just because you're having some drinks and things like that. And so it was a lot more relaxed kind of atmosphere. And so it was really, it just kind of clicked there. I was like, wow, this is, this is a friendly group. You know, I, I never felt any friendships or, you know, just friendliness when you go to NASCAR. I mean, they weren't, you know, or like mean or anything, but it just, you know, no one ever, they were just in, you know, huddles and then they went away and then that was it. You know, it was like people who knew each other just talked to each other and then there was no trying to include anyone. And, and during that pub crawl, uh, it was people were inclusive, you know, they welcomed, you know, just started asking me, you know, hey, where are you from? What are you doing? You know, so it was just that kind of thing that really made for me um, feel like this is where I want to keep coming. So let me ask you this. Do you consider yourself an introvert or an extrovert? I'm a little bit of both. It gets, I guess it depends on my environment. You know, I, I once I start to open up, I think I can start to talk a lot and be, and, you know, include others and, and but I'm also, you know, in a in a very new environment, I think I tend to just sit back and watch and observe. So I think um, you know, it just depends on, on what what the atmosphere is for that moment. It depends on how I react to it. That makes sense. Yeah. 
I think that it's just, it's curious because obviously if you've been around an ADR for any length of time, you know, we have like a very core group of usual suspects, right? Who are like mostly looking to have a beer and hang. Um, and I think it's something that we, um, you know, our leadership team anyway, has tried to make a more concerted effort to um, reach out, engage, maybe be even more extending of that feel of inclusivity, right? right. I mean, yes, it's there and it's organic in a lot of ways, but then there, then we have these conversations about people who are just more inclined to be an introvert, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, I think even that came up when we were talking about this podcast, like what a, what a great way to reach the introvert, right? Because, you know, something that you can do on your morning walk and you don't really have to engage with it, right? You can just take it in consumption, you know? Mm plug your, your AirPods in and turn it on and listen and walk and, and you feeling engaged, but you're not having to engage. Right. Um, so anyway, I always, I, t- I try to be mindful of the people in the room that are not inherently extroverted. Um, because, you know, I think in that moment we reached you, right. And you're kind of a mix of a person, but I think there's other people that show up and, you know, don't, aren't really going to extend themselves. Right. Yep. Meeting where they are. I think we, yeah, where you say meeting where they are, I think we are doing a better job at setting up those opportunities, you know, for for the different types of interactions at all of our events now, you know, with the conferences and the networking weekends. I think that that opportunity, we're trying to to make those different situations for the introvert or the extrovert, you know, so that they do have these these chances to to engage at, at their own, you know, the way they like to do it. Yeah. Okay, so you decide in that moment, like, oh, these people are cool, they're inclusive. I really like, I really think this is where I need to sort of like uh, spend time and energy. Um, and so I know shortly thereafter, you, I think it was you reached out to me, right? And you were like, hey, I want to get involved in some way. Or did yeah. you specifically ask about being on the conference committee? I can't remember. I, I did. Um, it was weird. It, do you, you know, um, Linhoff, right? Former commissioner. Um, oh, Enoff, Lou Enoff. Yeah, yes, I, I, yes. I said it wrong. I'm sorry. Yes. Um, yeah. Lou Enoff. Um, he knew my father through um, a relationship here in Maryland. Uh, it was his name was um, Nelson Sabatini. He was the Maryland um, Secretary of Department of Health and Mental Hygiene at the time, and and so through through that relationship, my dad met Lou. And, and it's funny because my dad's Lou as well. So Lou and Lou. And then there's also a Lou Michelson. I don't know if you know him. He's in the industry. I do know Lou Michelson. Yeah. So all three of them, it was like, it was just way too many Lou's the going Lou's the time. Tomorrow, right? um, so, so through, actually it was through that relationship, um, through Nelson meeting Lou, um, my dad and he were having a meeting and I went with one of them. They always have like to have lunch meetings and stuff like that. So I was there and 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 Lou was saying to me, he's like, you know, Nadar is a good group. He's like, you should really get involved with, with their leadership. And I was like, okay, well, how should I do that? And he's like, well, just go join a committee or something like that. You know, just check out what they got and, you know, and, and take it from there. And so that's when I reached out to you and I, and I looked at the committees and I was like, well, I like conferences and I've been to lots of them through the Medicaid thing. I know I've been involved in putting them together prior to that. I do the, um, Italian organization I'm a part of. I've helped put together lots of dinner dances and golf outings and things like that. So I was used to putting, you know, things together like that. So I thought, 
this would probably be a good fit. And so that's why I asked if, you know, if you had room on the on the um, conference committee, I, I thought I would be a fit for me. So. Yeah, I remember that. And I didn't know the backstory. So that's so cool that Lou Enoff. So just to add a little context for the listeners. So Lou Enoff was um, acting commissioner of Social Security in the early 90s um, and subsequently uh, became a consultant um, to, to Nader, um, where our public policy advisor and him would coordinate um different Hill visits and different meetings with the Social Security Administration executives. And um, he really saved my my behind one time. I remember I, um, if anybody's familiar with CLEAR, you know, the, the sort of the proprietary version of TSA pre-check. So I had CLEAR um, and I was going on a legislative trip and I had been on a, a, a just a family weekend away the weekend before and used a different bag my license got like slid down in the side pocket of that bag. And so I like get up on a Monday morning and racing out the door to the airport and I, you know, check in it clear and get through security and I fly all the way to DC and I show up um, and I've reserved the group's rooms on the Nader credit card. And so I'm checking in and I'm explaining to them, you know, hey, I'm here to check in and we have a group of people and we're all under this credit card and, oh, can we see your ID, Mrs. Sermon? And I'm like, no, no, you can't because it's in the other person, Houston. And this is a problem because we have meetings with Social Security tomorrow. And if anybody's ever been to Woodlawn, um, it is literally locked down like Fort Knox. Like you are not getting in there unless you can prove who you are and your reason for um, showing up there. So like 10 o'clock at night and I call Jean. I'm like, Jean, we got a problem like this. I don't know what we're going to do. She's like, don't worry, I'll call Lou. And, you know, his picture is like hanging with all the other commissioners right behind the people, the security people's head. And so praise God for Lou. He's like, don't worry, meet me at the back entrance. We'll get you in. Anyway, so that's really cool. I didn't know that story. So yeah. thanks to Lou Enoff, Chris got involved. Yep. Okay, so you and I, uh, or you served on the conference committee with me 2016, basically planning for 2017. Is that right? Yes, for the Reno. We, right, okay. Well, yep, no, so, was, Reno was 16, I think. Reno was 16. Yep, must have. Yeah. So from 15 to 16, you served there. Okay. Um, yeah, so then we go to Reno, and that was an interesting conference for lots of different reasons, but. Um, so you um, sort of, you know, I guess, quote unquote, proved yourself right on the conference committee and then were tapped pretty quickly to like maybe serve as a director on the board. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Followed up pretty much the next because I was going to do the, um, you know, looking to do the conference again. I was like, well, that was fun. I, would, I, I wouldn't mind doing it again. But I think some others had different plans for me and they said, no, no, <laughs> we'd like you to be a, a DAO. So I was like, oh, OK. Yeah, so you you were slated um, to the board for the first time 2017 to 2018 as a director at large. Yes. Okay. So, you know, we don't talk a lot about the directors at large. I think it's a pretty, like, nebulous role. I don't know that a lot of people really understand what that is. So what what was your, what's your opinion of what a director at large does for the organization? I think it's the support. For, for the executive team of the board, you know, you're there to, to um, give your opinion, you know, to help 
make this, you know, when there's things to talk about and you give your advice from your point of view and, and then really be there for committees, you know, chairs, a lot of, I think a lot of DAOs serve as your committee chairs. I mean, not every committee chair, but, you know, it's one of the options that they have to help, you know, keep these things moving and rolling. So it's, uh, what I think is really the DAOs position is, is really a support mechanism for the executive board. This is good information for my esteemed co-host here, Shay Guess, who is also slated to be in Dow starting September 1st, right? Yes, I'm taking notes. Okay, good, good. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I think it is a little bit of a support role. Um, typically, you do serve some sort of committee uh, in some sort of committee work. And I also think it's a really great kind of litmus test for your ability or even willingness to like continue, right, to serve the organization because you know, you don't have a lot of things on your plate that are, um, you know, super stressful or time intensive, but at the same time, you're getting a peek behind the curtain at like the inner workings of this organization. Right. Yeah, I, think, I think it's a good personality check for you to see, does your personality fit this type of role for sure? I, I think it's a good, because you, like you said, you do see it, you see it all. You see the, what the president and vice president, you know, everybody's doing at that level. So it's really an eye opener, I think, for for everyone who who gets into that, for, especially if they've never done any other boards before. You know, I think it's a good starting space for sure. Yeah, I think that most DAOs end up saying like, "Oh my gosh, I was a little shell shocked the first year of my service, mm. just like soaking it all in and trying not to ask duplicative questions or like, I want to raise my hand, but have they already covered this in some way?" You know, we are doing behind the scenes some work to sort of build out like a manual, right? Like a, a leadership manual for people who are interested um, in serving. Um, and there's also been some conversation about offering some sort of like leadership 101 session where we have people in different positions um, of varying um, importance, right? Uh, committee chairs all the way up to president who could be there to answer questions for people who are curious, but not ready to commit. Um, and so that's a, that's something we're toying around, maybe offering that at the networking weekend even, just so we can you know, provide that information and be as transparent as possible about time commitment and answer questions that maybe people have had that have been kind of burning, but haven't maybe felt like there's been the right opportunity to ask them. So, okay, so Dow for a year, and then somehow we ended up recruiting you to be the treasurer. Right. I, I think yeah, it was uh, it was needed to move Michael Winger on because he had been there for you know for his more than he should have been. I think so. He was giving <laughs> yeah. like forever. So. Yeah. Um, I was asked it to help relieve him so he could move on into the vice presidency. And so then, so I was like, all right, you know, I, I mean, that's kind of my personality. I'm really there to serve and I, I, I don't mind doing whatever, you know, I, I just, as long as people think I can do a good job, I was like, I'm willing to give it a try, you know? So it's just kind of, I kept rolling with it. I was like, sure, if that's what you want me to do. I, I, I said, I know um, QuickBooks for my company and I, and I like spreadsheets. So I, I said, I, I, I said, I think I can do it. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah and I, I like graphs and stuff like that too. So. I think you did a great job. Um, and so through your leadership there and also your proximity to um, DC, at some point in there, and it's all a blur, but they asked you also to serve on the legislative committee, right? 
Yep, yep. And Phil asked me to be the ombudsman to Social Security because of my proximity to um, Woodlawn as well. So right. we're in that role as well. Yeah, okay. And so what's your take on the whole legislative um, side of the leadership here within an ADR? Like, what was I think it's fascinating. I mean, it's just amazing. Well, I think, you know, because not everyone understands the inner out, inner workings of, of our government, you know, and so when you get there, you know, one, it's just impressive to see the buildings, you know, I mean, all the architecture and things like that. But then once you actually get into those buildings and you just see people just buzzing around and, you know, just the structure of the meetings, the way they were set up, you know, I mean, it was just like, because it's like they had so much time for you. And then, you know, the next group was coming in behind you, you know, and then but then wasn't like we were done because we had another person to go see, you know, so everyone's just, it's just, it's a, it's like a, a high almost because everyone's moving so quickly and, and you want to make sure you get all your points in, you know, to the person you're seeing. And, and then, you know, it's, so it, it's, it's amazing really that it, it all just clicks. And so I was, I was excited to go and I was really impressed by our knowledge. And we had a wealth of knowledge when I first started doing it there, you know, just the, because of the members that were there, just they knew the history. And so the conversations were impressive. You know, it wasn't just like we said a couple of words and that was it. I and mean, we really had this dialogue going back and forth. So I thought it was a really neat experience. And and I think it's a major role that NADAR provides for its membership, you know, that we can have these conversations and be in DC and, and have, you know, when it comes to, you know, the things that matter to social security representation, you know, when they, when, we're there to put in our say so that they say, you know, because they're going to just make the laws one way or the other, right? And if, if they don't have our input, then then they're going to do it their way. So I think it's it's great that we do this and it's a vital, vital piece to NADAR. So I think anybody who can be on the legislative committee who wouldn't mind, you know, doing that experience, it, it's I rec highly recommend it. Yeah, I do too. You know, it was one of those things that um, when you're first sort of asked to like tag along on one of those trips, you're kind of a little bit intimidated, right? You're like, oh gosh, talking to like staffers and senators, like that's yeah. so a little intimidating. Um, but at the same time, when you do it and you see kind of the inner workings, um, you know, <laughs> I remember having a conversation with Art Kaufman one time our legislative trip, we were eating lunch in like Dirksen or one of the cafeterias. And I looked around and I was like, Art, I feel old. And he's like, imagine how I feel. <laughs> yeah. I mean, these are some really young people on the Hill. That was the most surprising thing to me is like the age of the people. And I guess it makes sense. Like who has the stamina to like grind it out up there 80 hours a week. Right. Um, and they're all like 24 and 25 years old. It's pretty crazy. Um, but anyway, yeah, an excellent experience, I think. Um, also, I think having the inside, inside conversations with executives at the Social Security Administration, I think that's also so valuable, right? Like it's not necessarily legislative work, but those relationships are so important to our organization and our members and the claimants that we serve, right? That we are understanding from a top-down perspective, SSA's, you know, um, policy and um, operations and and hearing, uh, hearings, operations, insight, um, and then also being able to provide feedback, right? Like we are sort of the boots on the ground and, yeah, I'll tell you, you know, one of the things that I got from going to Social Security versus the Hill was 
you know, you really felt the size of Social Security when you go into Woodlawn. You know, you can just—it's—it's it's one. It's a big building, right? And it's—you know, like you said, the security. You're going in there, so you feel like you're in this, you know, secret place almost. And it's—you uh, know—you you do feel like it's—it's it's all these different departments. In order for anything to work, it has to get everybody has to line up just perfectly. You know, so you understand, I guess, why things don't work so well sometimes with Social Security because. It, it is it's difficult i mean you know it's it's a bureaucratic system there and you know no one seems to step out of the lines there to make things go so you've got to really work to get all these groups together to see your side you know so that you can say like you said because we're we're seeing where it's broken on the field and then to get the people at that level who you know put things together in the theory stage of things to say you know it, it all sounds great there but when it trickles down and gets implemented it gets lost in translation for sure you know it's the telephone game right it's it's not what they start you know, what they set up here is not what really ends up happening at the local offices so i think that's where you know our organization is really trying to say hey wait a minute you guys this is not what it's happening you know we, so we have to bring that proof you know bringing that data to them and show them saying look this is broken yeah i mean which was one of your first projects that you did right yep you yep. gathered information for um ssa about the lists that they yeah, show, you know, the referral we, lists, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So we collected that. We had, we asked the membership to, to send me as, you know, all the different lists that they got because they were not following the rules of how they were supposed to present that list to the public. And so we were trying to show them, um, you know, this is broken. And so we, we put it together. I, I put some graphs together for them to show them the you know, percentages, how, how it was going wrong and where it was going wrong. So, that we're you know we aren't saying this is a one-off problem this is really a systemic issue and so they they weren't expecting us to to really supply that data to them because they always say well show us you know show us it's a problem and so we did yeah i remember that meeting very well because i think they were like deer in headlights um not realizing that to your point you know policy says x and at that level everybody believes that x is the way it's being done yep. and then come to find out it isn't you know um Anyway, okay, good. Well, I know that was kind of a side tangent, but I, I think it's important for people to understand sort of, you know, all the hats that you've worn along the way. Um, so you're treasurer for a term and a half, right? You did three years as treasurer. Yes. Okay. And then yeah. you were slated to VP under Michael and that started in 2021. Yes. And so we were like inching our way day by day out of the pandemic in that moment. But I'm pretty sure one of the first days of office for you and Michael, we had to make a decision about pulling the plug on the networking weekend. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, find a place to host the board for their strategy meeting because we didn't want to cancel that part. But we weren't going to be able to host the networking weekend in Florida because of the uptick in COVID numbers in Florida. Mm -hmm. And sort of also the perception of the way that Florida's local government was handling right. pandemic, right? Yeah. So we that's, we came to Baltimore, right? We we yeah. to go to Baltimore. Yeah. Yeah. Time. And that was wild. We had to just rely on some old contacts at <laughs> the four seasons and pull pull a rabbit out of the hat there um, to get that meeting planned. So yeah, so basically day one of your vice presidency, you and Michael were sort of having to lead this conversation about rearranging that whole thing um and so nothing like baptism by fire right um, right so since then as the vice president 
what have you, you know, learned or what are some takeaways from sort of the top tier of leadership for the organization? Well, I, I think I've learned that communication is key. Uh, you know, that whatever we're doing, I guess you have to make sure that you're communicating to the rest of the membership what's necessary for them to know about it. You know, I mean, not always do you have to explain the, the nitty gritty details because that's, you know, not the membership doesn't need to know that just because they don't want to know that. That's why they, you know, vote, vote in uh, the officers to take care of the, those things. But I think, though, that it's important to really make sure that, you know, because we were trying to do the bylaw changes and things like that, that I think it's key in making sure everyone understands what you're doing, especially when it's a large thing that, that could affect the membership in, in, you know, in, a, in a, a wide way that people are understanding that a change is about to happen or the reasons for the change is about to happen, you know, so that everyone has the chance to absorb it and, and not a shorter window of time that that could you know feel rushed and 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 people then start to wonder what what's you know is there another motive behind this and all that kind of stuff so i think it's really important to to be clear and and transparent when it comes to leadership that you you're communicating the objectives that you have so that no one's really caught off guard yeah i agree with you i think that um you know transparency is uh, super important. And I think that hopefully if you're here, if you're a member of NADR, then you understand that this really is a member-led group. Like, I think that that's the goal, right? Like, we want people to feel like, you know, you you have ownership, right? Like, you, you should be a member as an owner. You should want to be involved and you should want to um, be made aware of the things that are happening um, when it's necessary. I mean, obviously the day-to-day -day operations of this thing are like, nobody wants to be in the back end of the sausage making that Deb and I deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. But there are some things that do rise to the level of, okay, this needs to be, you know, taken to the membership, you know? Yeah. And I think when those those opportunities arise, it's really important for the members to to, to be present and to take that ownership and to exercise their right to vote on things and, um, yep. you know. Right, and that's why I think it's just, it's important that the leadership makes sure that those opportunities are there for the membership so that they they present, you know what I mean? If, if, if we aren't communicating that, then they can't, they don't have the opportunity to, to mm -hmm. exercise their right to vote and things like that. So I think it's, you know, it's a two-way street. We, we have to be sure that we're there for them and, and then they have to step up when, when we ask, you know, for participation. So I think it's right. important. No, absolutely. I agree with you 100%. And I think, um, you know, as we look forward, you're a couple of months away. We're making an assumption here that you'll be elected as the president of the organization. Um, what are some of your goals? Like, what, what would you like to see happen for the future of the ADR in the next few years? Sure. Um, well, you, you know, it's, it, the industry is changing a lot, right, the, the, over the years. So wanted to make sure that we take time to, I mean, we started doing this last year where we make sure we're planning out the future of NADAR. So I want to make sure we have a good roadmap. You know, so that's one of the things that, that it's a clear roadmap too, that we, you know, everyone's uh, aware of what it is and the direction that we want the organization to go. So I want to make sure that that's established and, and 
And then one of the things I think since there's so much change, and, and I think this has been talked about a lot lately, is, is uh, AI, you know, the use of AI is coming up in the industry. I want to see if there's a way that we can take that technology and make the business easier or better for our membership. You know, you, you can, um, with automation, you know, you could do things like in, get AI to review a medical record for you, you know, when you've got large medical, now I'm not saying solely, you know, it's all up to the AI and you, you know, they're, they're doing the work for you. I, I, I want it to be like a collaboration of AI and, and humans, you know, so it's, it's helping you do your job, not doing your job, you know? So I think if we can, look at ways to get that technology to, to make, especially for the small, you know, mom and pop shops who don't have a lot of um, income to, 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 you know, for lots of resources, you know, for higher staff. So if this can improve their, their margins by using technology like this, that then they can be more successful and take on more cases and then maybe expand and bring on more people, you know? So it, it, I think it's a great opportunity for us to, to explore that and see, is there a way that we can, can either through just education of AI, you know, and, and let our members know they're saying, hey, there's a software out there that you can now use to review medical records or using it to, you know, help you write the brief. You know, a lot of times it's easier to edit something than it is to create it from scratch. So, you know, if it could be something along those lines, it can make you more efficient and get through those faster. Um, you can use maybe AI to help you with your intake process or, or just an, analyzing your own history or, you know, to see what, what's the best cases to take, you know, is there a better age range that I'm more successful in by, you know, not doing this kind of analysis. So uh, I, I think that's something that we could, we should really explore and, and help our membership understand how that, that technology could really improve their ability to do business uh, more efficiently um, and expediently and, and, and become, you know, more profitable by it. I think that's a great point. I mean, it's definitely, um, it feels prevalent, right? Like AI is going to be the, the way of the world, you know, um, sort of whether we like it or not, <laughs> you know, and so how, how can we leverage it to our benefit? You know, um, I, I believe that, um, judge Nagel touched on this when he was in Denver that they're several years out from that being a norm for OHO and the decision writing and how they will look at uh, medical records and look at evidence. So with this being, I think this is a great leadership point from Chris is that Nader stands in a place right now where if we could get behind this um, and, you know, get out in front of what they're doing, then we would be ready for some sort of a change because you know they're not going to use it to benefit us right. um you know it's going to benefit them and so we need to figure out a way to use it to benefit um our members so and this would take every single member feeding into that data you know uh that complex data pool and it would take somebody that likes spreadsheets to be able to figure that out and uh and so well. <laughs> You know, and I think um, another new member coming on the board is Dave Wright. And, you know, he, his organization's already embracing AI with the conversations I've had with him and their software. So that, you know, he and I have been having some conversations about, you know, maybe how how we could, you know, do something that for the membership, you know, just even education wise, you know, just getting everyone's understanding. You know, because some people just hear it in the news, you know, it's, oh, it, it's just 
they're not either they're not paying attention to it because they don't understand it or they're they're listening but they don't know you know they hear oh it's replacing jobs and it just they might think it's in other industries and they don't think it can really affect our industry and i think it could and i think it could for the better like you said shay as long as we get behind it and really you know show them this is the positive thing don't don't let it you know swallow you up you know let it be something that can help you flourish exactly well i mean i've been using it for it, well, it, it's ever since the chat GPT came out public, I've been using it um, in some of my brief writing and some of my, you know, I'll, I'll put, I'll copy and paste some uh, medical stuff over into that and then ask the question just to see what it spits back out at me. Um, so it, it really does help, um, you know, to get your mind in a right spot quicker. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so we have to, we have to embrace it because that's where it's at. I mean, and it's just like anything else. So we have to embrace everything that's thrown at us. This is an opportunity where it's going to take government several years to embrace this because they've got so many negative things being thrown at them because of it. Mm -hmm. um, they can't, they can't jump on it really quick because there's so many people saying, Hey, you know, put pump the brakes on the AI. But we stand on another side of it where if we could figure out a way to make it work for our members and our clients, um, then we can, we can, like you said, I mean, I, I've, I've got to a place in my business where I sit across the desk from people and say, look, this is the reason why you would lose your case. And then I work backwards from that to say, this is what we need in order to win your case. And I'd rather be that person today telling you that than two years from now, when we go to a hearing and we walk in the door and I go, you know what, this doesn't look good. Mm. You know, I've, I've become that particular type of rep for people that I give them the bad news first. This is the way we lose this. Now, do we have what it takes to win it? And it seems like I get more respect from doing that uh, because I, when I turn them down, I say, you know, so if you were sitting in my place and you know what I know, what would you do? And they're like, well, I don't really have a case, do I? You don't. So let's work on this to get you there. And, and it seems like it just makes it that much better, you know? And so with this, you know, we, we have to get everybody on board and, I, and I'm like you, I, I've talked to Dave uh, about this as well. So I, I think it's a good opportunity for, for us as an organization to really look into. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and it could be other ways too, that it helps you. It doesn't have to just necessarily be in the, in the, medical records and brief writing piece. I mean, it could be something as, as, um, you know, smart scheduling your, your day, you know, from, you know, where AI can look at your calendar, look at exactly. your to-do list, you know, and look at your hearing. Yeah. It can look at it all and say, all right, this is, this is what's going to make you efficient today. You know what I mean? Cause some people get sidetracked very easily. Right. I mean, I do, you know, all of a sudden I'm doing one thing and someone comes to my office and, and says, Hey, can you, and, now, and then I've lost, you know, to, to have your calendar planned out like that is a really good way to make sure you're not wasting your time, you know, that you stay on track and, and really um, get those cases where they need to be. most efficient. Well, it also helps in marketing. So I can say that I am, I'm, I'm X, Y, Z type of rep. And then I can plug that into an AI program. And it tells me, you know, you're ABC kind of rep. And this is where you need to look at, at your marketing. This is what you're good at. And then you can actually plug it into your social media to take over those posts for you. So you're not wasting five hours posting on social media, trying to get clients. This thing can go out there for you every day and take care of it. But anyway, that's, I can, I can. 
Yeah, I, I, I hijacked this podcast to do. <laughs> well, you, know, you, know, you got me excited. <laughs> well, and, and you know, we were talking earlier today in the board meeting about you know helping new new members, um, you know, who, who are just trying to to establish themselves, and and AI can help you, you know, make your landing page. You know, you, you, all you got to do is, like you said, put in those few prompts about like who you are and how like you want to be, and it either will direct you that way or not, but it'll, it'll help you so quickly get you up and running where before you just, you know, you had to go to a company or do something like, I mean, you can start this all on your own now, you know, and just get the basics rolling and, and, and not have to worry about that and save you money. But see, this is what you're good at. I mean, because here, here you are, you got us all excited about AI. Um, sitting down with you in Reno was the first time I ever met you. We were sitting in the, uh, uh, we were eating there in the hotel and you were so excited about, you know, being on the conference committee and some things that you guys were doing, you were sharing it with me. And, and I remember, I distinctly remember you looking across the table because we were talking about the Tesla uh, operation that had, that was in Reno and these guys that were working uh, at Tesla. And, and you, you looked across the table and you said, you know, we have a good organization and the only way to make sure we are a better organization is we got to get involved. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that was your, your ambition was to, was to move into more uh, responsibilities to help, you know, push this along. And in that small conversation, the light bulb went off in my head. I'm like, okay, well, that's what we do. Then we, we get involved. And so I appreciate you for, for, for doing that. And, and I've kind of looked at you uh, all these several years and how you progressed from committee to, you know, board member and, you know, and, and where you're going next. And, it's, it's really an inspiration to, cause I mean, it, it really is an inspiration because anybody that don't know where to get involved or how to get involved, just hang out with Chris. Um, uh, cause he, he's, he's business by day, but he can, he can, he can party at night and still get you interested in what's going on in Nader. So <laughs> in, in a few months, uh, we'll probably have some committee positions to fill. So he <laughs> so can definitely yeah. put you to work. Yeah, you know, uh, and, and getting involved, I don't think, you know, sometimes that sounds daunting, but with this group, it's really not. Uh, everyone's friendly. Everyone's there to help you in that position that you get into. You know, it's I was never in a spot where I felt like I have no idea what I'm doing. Well, I might have thought that, but I was never like left there and and only thought that, you know, I mean, it was it was always someone there to help guide me and and share what they're doing you know and then i just kind of took that and ran with it and you know wanted to make it even better and you know just so i don't you know so anyone listening i think you know if you want to do something and we have all kinds of things too it doesn't have to be a big position you know i mean just there's lots of things and opportunities that just i mean some of it's just as simple as answering our grassroots effort you know when we send out those emails that's helping. That's helping this organization move forward if you just respond to those types of things. So it is, can be as simple as that or as complex as becoming a board member, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that, like I said before, I think our, our sort of some of the board and leadership initiatives are, um, you know, they came out of our strategy meeting from last year are that, you know, we need to do a good job of creating the vehicle by which people can say, like, I want to, I want to serve, you know, or here are my areas of expertise. And so where do you see me um, fitting in, you know, in that, in the leadership role or, you know, even just on a committee, right? 
So anyway, this is all, all of this to say, um, we're excited, I think, for the future of NADR. Um, I think that the timing is, is perfectly right for Chris um, to step into this role as president. And um, don't forget to vote. Ballots go out on the 15th. So, um, and I think they close on July 15th. So you have some time, but um, don't forget to put, cast your ballots. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah. I just want to say, you know, if, if, if the membership gives me the honor of being the next president, I, all I ask is that, you know, I'm an open door person. I always have been. So if there's something that you feel isn't right or, hasn't been communicated properly. I do appreciate any kind of email or, you know, you don't have to make it directly to me, but to get it to a board member, or, you know, just, I, I don't, don't like um, just surprises. You know, if, if you want me to do the best for you guys, I just need you to communicate to me and I'm going to do my best to communicate to you, um, you know, where we're going and what we're doing. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, obviously people know how to get a hold of me Eva NADR.org. So if um, you have a question or a concern or feedback, positive or negative, you know, I think that um, I hope, I hope that we've established that the the door is, is definitely wide open um, for you to reach out to, to anyone. But but for sure me, and I will make sure that your uh, note gets passed along. So Anyway, well, this has been fun, guys. I appreciate you joining us, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's always good. Always good to sit down with Chris. Yeah. Fun times for sure. Yeah. So thanks, Shay. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for you too. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I'm, 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 I'm ready to work. I'm ready to work. Awesome. I think we got a lot of work ahead of us and uh, we've, we have some great people with Michael and, and Greg and too many names to name, Bill, you know, great people have, have worked really, really hard. Art, you know, I could keep, keep going, but the momentum is there. The train has left the station and we've got to keep uh, the coals on the fire and, and keep plugging away. I think in the uh, future's bright. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. All right. Thanks, guys. <laughs>